We open on Clark Kent alone at a baseball diamond. He has a ball, glove, a bat, but no friends. He's looking around the diamond at himself. He's running around at super speed simultaneously, pretending to be the pitcher, the batter, and the first baseman. Clark pitches. Clark hits it, and it's way out in left field and caught by... Yes, I see it, but I don't believe it. Clark has caught the ball. Clark wins and loses. Roll the open. I'm Andrew Anthony, and this is Soup, a look back at Lois and Clark from the 90s. This episode is called Requiem for a Superman, and it seems to be about fair play, or the nature of even matching. Uh, the title itself is a reference to a Rod Serling episode of the Twilight Zone, Requiem for a Boxer. And on a side personal note, if you like boxer stories, I highly recommend the film noir classic Night and the City. It's a classic, and I consider it a proto-version slash grandfather to movies we'd have later on, like Uncut Gems and Good Time, as far as films go that paint a portrait of a man going through one of his hardest or most stressful days. Clark on the baseball time is ridiculous. He's throwing looks at himself, not just balls. He looks over at the first baseman like, do we trust this batter? Are we going to do something? Yeah, we're going to do something. And he's like receiving nods, throwing it. And remember, all the while, he's running between to be these people simultaneously. It just... Anyone could have seen it. And when he catches the ball in left field, he's, he had to fly to catch it. And then he stays in the air. He's still dressed as Clark. So in the first act, Perry loops Clark into an evening poker game that's played after hours at the Daily Planet. During the game, Lois, Clark, Jimmy, and Perry jabber and debate about whether Superman would cheat at poker with his x-ray vision. Because in this world, that's all they want to talk about. Superman. I'd like to note that this episode marks the first time Lois is the star of my segment. What is she wearing? She is dressed as a newsie. I want her to sing and tap dance next to a young Christian Bale. She's even wearing the ridiculous little hat like a little rascal. What is she wearing? You know, I should note that Cat Grant isn't in this episode, so I am confident that the outfit was picked up for her and they did not want to waste it. Anyway, they debate while playing poker whether Soup would play fair, and Jimmy actually reasons that fair for Superman would be him using everything at his disposal, including x-ray vision. That's actually a kind of a great point that I agree with, uh, using what you've got, but Lois and Perry insist that he'd obey the rules, which is, uh, which brings us to the part of the story known as the promise of the premise, and it comes with Perry's line of, fair play is what Superman's all about. So to close out the poker playing scene, we get a moment of Clark struggling not to cheat. You can see through the cards with x-ray vision, and I guess the, the field of x-ray vision becomes narrow and smaller like he's reducing it. He is struggling and squinting like he's trying to snap a pencil with his brain. That's how hard it is for him to resist cheating. Like, he only just decided not to cheat because they were talking about it, which presumably he's been cheating all along. And he struggles and decides, nah, I, I fold. He folded? You can't cheat, so you don't bother playing the hand you have or even bluffing? All right, buddy. The next day, Perry follows Lois around the office, insisting that Clark and she have chemistry. Do they? Or is this more meta-implication and meta-love that's unearned? Anyway, he insists that they need to be official writing partners and uh, that they'll make great stories together. It looks like despite them having already done so up until now, this is them officially being paired. The thing I like most about it is that Lois is saying, hey, Perry, partnership requires understanding, patience, and, and she lists a bunch of really good qualities. And Perry says, I know, Lois, just fake it. In a moment where I feel like he acknowledges that this Lois Lane is a bit of an objectionable pill sometimes. So Perry sends Lois and Clark off on their first official team news story, and it's to follow the uh, huge buzz around a boxing match. This is 
really charming for me to watch because I feel like I watched boxing die during my lifetime. Not die, but get replaced by mixed martial arts. Uh, anyway, this big boxing match is being advertised as like five super boxers who you've like never seen before are going to rock the world and they're going to box in the street. So they're calling it uh, Metropolis's street fight, but it's just going to be a boxing match in the street. So Lois objects and she asks Perry, like, this wouldn't be about my connections, would it? And we learn that she has connections to the boxing world. Perry coyly says yes and sends them off, but I'm like, Lois is a news agent. Why is she opposed to being tasked with a story that she has good sources for? And why does Perry have to be cryptic about that? This should be low-hanging fruit for Lois. This should be a slow and low pitch that's easy to swing at. This should be a pitch thrown by the same guy batting it and catching it in the far left field. Remember that? So they go to a boxing gym that's decked out in trophies and banners advertising the upcoming street fight. Clark whistles, and he's impressed, and he starts touting his boxing knowledge, but he even seems to know history about the gym. What? Isn't he new to Metropolis? Isn't he a fish out of water? Learning about the city and, and through Superman, humanity, through exploration? I mean, why is he an authority figure on this topic? He even makes a remark to Lois about how, if you were interested in boxing, you'd know this stuff. Well, dude, you can say that to anyone about anything. If you were into it, you'd know about it. I want to describe Clark as behaving superman splainy right now. I think it was to set Lois up for a win because she throws it back in his face with her superior boxing knowledge. We learn that her connection is her father. He's a famous sports doctor, and they info dump that he's this super scientist engineer who paved the way for reconstructive sports surgery. This info dump is kind of annoying, and I'll unpack it in a bit, but I would like to say that uh, this is a retcon, not a retcon, but another take on Lois's father, who normally is a military man, and it explains why she's such an army brat tomboy. So it looks like her toughness kind of comes from having grown up peripheral to boxing. So there's this older movie that's so bad it's good called No Holds Barred, starring wrestler Hulk Hogan. And he takes this woman out to a posh dinner at a fancy restaurant with a snobby maitre d' and an even snobbier waiter. The whole point of the scene ramps up to this punchline where he says something in French and hands the menu to the snobby waiter. And everyone gives him this look like, ooh, we underestimated you. Maybe you do belong in this high society place. And he does this like shrug. Uh, the whole movie, he's flawless. There's nothing wrong with him. And that's kind of how Lois is treated on this show. Eh? Even when there's something wrong with her, somebody loves her for it. This moment where she shows Clark up for having more boxing knowledge is just so teed up, and actually all it accomplished was making Clark look kind of jerky. So Lois and Clark have a job to do, and they want to get an interview with the five super boxers, so they approach the owner of the gym. It turns out to be another connection to Lois. It's her uncle, or one of those family friends to her father's who you just call uncle. But either way, this is another connection she wasn't happy to have for an easy story. They're told that nobody's allowed to talk to or bother the star boxers before they're matched. The leader of the star boxers is a beast, and he's already in the ring sparring with somebody, and he hits them so hard that they fly out of the ring and into a wall. Then he throws a towel at Clark, having apparently overheard them begging for an interview, and says, You want to talk to me? Come on up here. You ain't gonna learn nothing down there. What? He's saying you want to talk with words while coming up here and fight with fists? That's mental. And Lois starts goading Clark into climbing up into the ring and doing it. She's even saying that she'll do it herself if he wusses out. I should note that, good or bad, at this point, everything in the story structure is actually pretty tight and sound. 
Everything at the Daily Planet was the promise of the premise, fair play and uneven matchings and pairings. And now at the gym, we're walking up to the story itself. We're still in the intro and Clark is the hero reluctantly answering the call and climbing into this ring where the dynamic speaks to the promise of the premise. Clark Kent is outmatched by this heavy hitting boxer and unbeknownst to the boxer and the rest of the room, he's outmatched by Superman. This is an interesting scene, and so far, a tight story. So Clark is in the ring, the heavy-hitting boxer talks with a thick Brooklynese accent, and he's teasing Clark, and he's promising pain, and how you're going to write about something and you haven't even experienced it yet, which raises all sorts of questions. What does this boxer think journalism entails? Why is he so amped up? He shadow boxes on either side of Clark's head, coming real close, and he insists that his first and only needed punch is coming. At this moment, Lois calls out in concern, but Clark and I react the same, incredulous. He chucks back a reminder at her of, you just sent me up here, what are you worried about? Uh, the fight promoter hops into the ring to stop it all before it happens. He sends the star boxer to the showers, but before that star boxer goes, he calls Clark a princess and blows a kiss at him. I'm pointing out these characteristics for a reason we'll circle back to in a bit. So the fight doesn't happen, and Clark remarks, well, I guess you can get away with anything when you're the strongest man in the world, winking at the premise, and the fighters are treated as precious, and everyone wants them to stay away from the press. That actually brings us to Lex. He's sitting down on the phone, seemingly talking to the fight promoter we just saw, and he's agreeing, yes, I didn't know the reporters were so close. That's why I didn't want any press near the fighters to begin with. So we're introduced to Lex throwing darts aggressively off camera and taking credit for what is revealed to be a nefarious plot that's running around the gym. He's the baddie. Who saw that coming? And as usual, we drive home his imagery as a villain and see that the whole while he's been throwing darts off camera, it's been thrown at a Superman cardboard standee from the previous episode. You know, the one that Soup could only have posed for to exist. Lois gets a call from her uncle that owns the gym at night. He wants to talk. It's very hush-hush and cagey. He wants to spill the beans. As she walks to meet him downtown, she sees he gets run down and murdered by a truck. Lois sits with his dead body, and we're thrown into the second act. What was being covered up? Why did he have to die? Lois is now on the case, and with a wink to the poker game, I'll say she's all in. There's been a murder, and now it's personal. Also, 911? Anyone? If you're convinced it's a murder, report it, and then the case is open, and then you can report on that. Am I insane? Is that not how you do it? Exhausting. We cut back to Lex, and he's in this, like, shadowy soliloquy, talking about how he hates killing people or, or having to have them killed, because it feels too easy, and like he failed at being clever and outsmarting people. When he murders, he says, to his reflection, that he feels he's let himself down. What an egotistical villain. Oh yeah, yeah. Goodbye, Act 1, and now for the fun and games of Act 2. When Lois gets back to the gym for answers, her father stonewalls her, and we learn that they're estranged. They don't get along. Uh, this is actually an okay moment, because it explains why she wasn't enthusiastic about her boxing leads. So her next attempt to break the story involves literally breaking into her father's office. Clark nervously follows her like a hardy boy with a flashlight and observes her attempt to pick the lock of a door. She grunts and says, I've seen Jimmy do this all the time. Clark frowns and discreetly uses his powers to open the door, but what kind of idiot thinks that their lockpicking skills come from jiggling it around and having seen it done? It'd be one thing if Jimmy taught you and you were bad at it. That would be a funny moment. But, I mean, you've only externally observed something that is only internal nuance? Are you insane? If you watch a mechanic roll under a car and make clanging sounds, are you going to fix my 2005 Ford Focus in the winter? 
I think I pulled something. You reckon if I show you a video of a proper massage, you can sort me out? My best friend has a beautiful response to anyone touting medical advice on the basis of, oh, my uncle is a doctor. He'll respond, so what you're telling me is you're not a doctor, right? That's what you're telling me? Well, my uncle was a doctor for 20 years. Oh, good, because you spent those 20 years not being a doctor, is what you're telling me, right? So I've seen Jimmy pick locks all the time. Oh, okay, Lois, so you've never picked a lock. That's what you're telling me. I'm done with this now. So they commit a B and E, and that makes me wonder, 911? Anyone? And they sift through her dad's files. We've not seen an establishing or external shot of the building we're in, and I actually had to infer and rewatch to double check that her father's office is in the rundown boxing gym. Isn't he a prestigious scientist in the field of sports medicine? Why is he shacked up in this rundown average Joe sweaty gym? The answer is they want to save money on locations. I don't know why I'm poking at it. These reports suggest that their fighters are turning guys into minced meat, Clark remarks over Lois's shoulder at an open manila folder. What did that report say? Is it anecdotal, journalistic writing about the fight? Is it a sketch of a human body with circles and notes of the kind of damage incurred? Maybe it's just a blank piece of paper with the sentence, Star Boxers turn men into minced meat. They suspect steroids are being used on the Star Boxers, and that would explain them being, as we've seen and described, invincible and stronger than most or any humans. Clark uses his X-ray vision to see that in Lois's dad's office, behind a bookshelf, is a secret lab. They open it, and within is a robot skeleton. Lois remarks, Clark, I'm Dr. Frankenstein's daughter. I'd like to point out that when Clark opened the secret passage he found via x-ray vision, Lois asked how he discovered it, and he responded, my uncle has the same setup in his den. Lois shrugged and said, oh, and entered the lab to again find robots. Okay, I have questions. The robots have a skeleton that suggests limited, linear, rudimentary range of movement, but the Finnish model who tried to box Clark was lifelike? I mean, they cast a sweating human man to play a Brooklyn-accented boxer with homophobic bullying tendencies. Why did they give him that kind of personality? Who programs that? No wonder they wanted to keep the robot prize fighters away from the press. Perhaps they won't pass the cheering test. But honestly... That jerk who demanded Clark fight him could have fooled me. He failed the jerk test, but he passed anyone's Turing. And for those who are unfamiliar with the Turing test, and apologies to my listeners who are not only familiar, but resent the need to fill in younger generations, Alan Turing is one of the early fathers of computer science, and the test is meant to determine a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to that of a human being. Can you talk to them for five minutes and not know you're talking to a machine? I love how one invention on a show suggests and implies much bigger ideas peripheral to that. The robots we were introduced to, the heavy-hitting boxer, for instance, that guy was sweating and you couldn't tell him apart from humans. His skin, his eyes, his glands, let's be honest, he has to have an artificial intelligence and a speech matrix that deserves a Nobel Prize. It's obviously AI because who would program him to be so volatile and troublesome? So synthetic skin, motors, robotics, advanced beyond comprehension, and artificial intelligence, all for a boxer? Lois and Clark are as perplexed as I am, and they want to know why so much for seemingly so little. Suddenly danger! They hear a noise in the building and suspect people are approaching. The B&E is busted. It's over. They gotta get out of there. Clark leaves Lois in the secret lab, steps into her father's office, and uses x-ray vision to see who is coming down the outside hall. 
It's the Brooklynese boxer along with the fight promoter and their mid-conversation. We tune in at the boxer begging the promoter, Come on, boss, let me at him. I can take the Superman. Come on, let me kill him. Okay, one, this robot's AI is annoying like an eager child. Why are you not just programming them? Why are you arguing with something you can hit a switch and make agree with you? Also, why is he eager to punch Superman? Didn't the promoter warn Lex that news agents were snooping close to super boxers? Where does Superman factor in? This is unwarranted and ridiculous. Just because we have a, a, a perceivable villain faction doesn't mean they have to automatically hate Superman just because of meta-knowledge. Who told him to hate Superman and why? So I guess Clark decides they need a distraction. He starts patting the wall really fast, so fast his hands become a blur. It's super speed. And he's also using super speed on his feet. He's patting the ground and stomping as fast as possible. He rattles and shakes the entire building and everything in it, simulating an earthquake. Why did he not just turn that wall to dust and find himself standing in a wooden crater? How did he shake the whole building? The distraction works and the baddies leave, and when Lois comes out to Clark, she says, Did you feel that? Must have been at least a five. What? On what, the Richter scale? If you believe it was about a five, you wouldn't be asking him if he felt it. You'd be wondering why he's alive. And is Metropolis on a fault line? Nobody argues it. So effectively, yeah, this Metropolis is on a fault line. Back at the planet, Jimmy looks through the pictures that Lois and Clark illegally took while breaking and entering into her father's secret laboratory. I think he's impressed that they brought a camera and not him. I think he likes when they exclude him from his profession. It's just my playful way of pointing out that he's a little underused right now, especially as a photographer. Clark says, The boxing league would never let these guys compete if they knew they had robotic enhancements. And this really confused me. Why did the robot in the secret lab have a head? So the Brooklynese guy is a human with augmentation? I mean, that would explain a lot of his behavior, and I, I really wasn't sold at first. I needed to watch more, but it is augmentation despite their horrible, horrible efforts at clarifying that. So Lois begins writing a takedown piece on her father for his illegal boxer surgeries. Uh, Clark pockets the photos that they took, and he tells her, hey, maybe we didn't see anything at all. And she's like, what do you mean? And he says, this is the biggest boxing scandal in history. And I'm like, really? And Clark says, if we write this article, your dad could wind up the next in line of people who need to be taken care of and eliminated like your uncle, who is also not your uncle, but that guy. So their logic is sit on top of the story to stop what they feel is a second murder. And I wonder, 911? Yet? Guys? And you know what? Perry agrees. In his office, he grills Lois and Clark, asking where the story is. But to protect her father, they have to pretend all is well. Perry asks, The cops still think that it was a hit and run? Yesterday, you were crying murder. They hold their poker faces, and Perry grills Clark and says, And you agree with Lois? And in a moment of solidarity, Clark says, I stick with my partner. And the pairing feels a bit more meant to be. The partnership feels right to Lois in this moment, and we've winked at the premise of the show. So Perry feels like they've botched the story by not finding one, especially with Lois having connections in the boxing world. So he puts them in the doghouse and gives them really low-hanging fruit stories that he says are confidence boosters. So to bring us to the bottom of the act, we cut to the shadowy office of Lex Luthor. The fight promoter is reporting back to him that the Daily Planet dropped their takedown story of Sam Lane. They rejoice for killing the gym owner just in time. They figure that this is the result of them getting to him before he leaked information. By the way, the fight promoter is a bad caricature of a mobster. Shoulder pads and all. He would look more comfortable drinking pink martinis next to Al Pacino and Dick Tracy. 
The guy is asking for what the end game is with these five super boxers, and uh, Lex lets him know, we've created five men of incredible strength, Luther shouts. And I'm like, okay, you bestowed it, or maybe created the end result, you mean to say? Because now I'm like, okay, maybe the fighters are robots, and, and, and that's why the lab had skeletons with robot heads. But no, these guys are human, it's not AI, the Brooklyn personalities and the homophobia are all innate. Luther announces, though, I don't want to win measly boxing championships. I want an army of supermen under my control. So that's his endgame. So with new instructions, the fight promoter gangster guy goes to Lois's dad, Sam Lane, and he demands that the fighters be made stronger. They argue about things going too far. The boxers are too powerful. And I'd like to point out that like the aesthetic and tone of this scene looks a lot like a 1940s extortion at a bakery with like a madcap scientist instead. If you don't uh, up the production of mad science, it'd be, I don't know, tragic for your little office here to catch fire, Nespa. I hope you remain very successful in realizing Mr. Luther's visions, lest, I don't know, some accidents were to befall your secret lab. I'm waiting for him to poke him and whine, do science, do it. Lex Luther is strong-arming a man into mad science. And the gangster stands up and pretty much just says that. He tells Sam, we're going to pump these guys out like Detroit pumps out cars. Oh, once upon a time. What an unfortunately dated thing to say. Sam Lane responds, those are machines, as if to suggest that the boxers aren't, and I'm further annoyed at the ambiguity of that. Why did the secret lab have robot heads? These are augments, Andrew. These are augments. Your contract ain't up, Lane. You gotta do what we say. The contract is lifetime. Gasp. Sam Lane realizes that they killed the gym owner, his friend. And this is that whiff of death that propels us into the later acts. The whiff of death can be actual, near miss, literal. They can come from a mentor or, or simply be a cautionary stand-in to represent your worst fear or fate, being erased or wiped off the earth because of something you did. So we're about to jump into the third act, and we get to see a character develop based on actual choice. This is good writing. After that whiff of death, Sam Lane defies the baddies, and he meets with Lois and Clark midday in the city. He's going to finish off what the whiff of death started. Let's call that guy Jones, since he's not important beyond being a murdered guy right now, and everyone mutters his name. Lois and Clark huddle up to Sam in an alley, and he says, Okay, it may not be enough for the police, but it'll sure be enough for the Boxing Association. What? What kind of justice do you want? For love of the game or for love of justice of human life? Jeez Louise, man! And he plays them a tape recorder where the promoter gangster says, Yeah, I killed him, and you'll be next if you don't do as we say. Wait, that wasn't good enough for the cops, but was good enough for the boxing association? Jeez Louise, when you said it was going to be better for the boxing association, I thought you meant that the tape would expose the augmented fighters, the thing they'd be most opposed to. I get that they'd be opposed to murder, but I promise the police will be more so. Hence, I wonder most of all at this moment and in our final segment of 911. Sam Lane tells Lois, now go, girl, write that story, and write that story from before, too. He permits her to expose the robo-boxers and to furthermore take down his career and defame him by exposing his involvement as well. That's a great character choice. Feeling cathartic, he walks away smiling. Lois chases him for a hug of reconciliation, and their story is closed out with her reminding Dad to play it safe for the next few days, go into hiding. 
When we get back to the Daily Planet for more Act 3 antics, Perry praises Lois and Clark for their stories. He's, they're out of the doghouse. In a matter of hours, they've both typed up two pieces that Perry holds in his hands like Moses did the Ten Commandments, and he yahoos like a cowboy. Lois says, we can just make the afternoon edition because they want to blast their information out before the evening's boxing match. So I'm starting to see now that, okay, the paper goes out three times a day? Wow. And Lois and Clark contribute really only when they have something typed up. They aren't busting their butts to do this three hits a day, or one apparently. So Perry screams, copy, and sends a young boy running the articles downstairs to the printing press. Then White screams about how Lois and Clark are the best writing team in the whole world. The whole Daily Planet is listening. Perry yells, yeah, and this will happen a lot in the show, so know your memes. Everyone stood up and clapped. Act 4, it's the night of the street fight, the boxing match in the city streets of Metropolis. Lex and the gangster promoter are in an office, and they're looking at the headline of the Daily Planet, Boxing Commission Meet on Robo-Scandal. It seems they're outed, but the huge street fight is still set up for and decorated, so I guess the afternoon edition went out outing them, and then the Boxing Commission said, we're gonna meet, and that made it to the Daily Planet's evening edition, I guess everything's happening all at once, so they were setting up for the event while the commission's meeting to decide to take it down. That's what I'm inferring. Lex wants to distance himself from everything at this point. He promises the gangster dude, I'll relocate you and the five superboxers into hiding after you tie up loose ends. Take out Sam Lane. We find out Sam Lane took his daughter's advice and he's in hiding, and Lex responds, well, you can get to him through his daughter. And this is the coldest we've seen him yet, because he dated Lois, and he is, until this moment, seemingly really interested in her. Now he's all for putting her in harm's way. It gives him pleasure, and he sniffs his cigar like he can taste a victory already. We cut to the locker room where the super boxers are warming up, and the main Brooklynese robot boxer from before is wigging out like he's on steroids. He's dripping in sweat, and he's grunting, and he's repeating, I want Superman! I want Superman! Gonna kill him! Gonna kill him! Where is this coming from? Soup hasn't even made an appearance in this episode yet. Superman isn't investigating them, thwarting them. Nothing. Nothing. Why are these cronies out for his blood? Are they robots and they were programmed to and I'm wrong after all? Or are they human and they just got passionate about beating up other strong people? The guy freaks out and he punches a perfect hole in a concrete wall, which the other robo-fighters look through in amazement. I guess they are human. They can be amazed. Ugh. So remember the headline we were reading. It seems like the news of this robo-scandal is only just getting out the same day. So now, the announcer steps into the ring. Plug is pulled. Robo-scandal's active. He says, no fight. And everyone starts booing. The leader of the superboxers freaks out, and he runs into the ring and announces, We're the strongest men alive, and nothing can hurt us. No boxing commission's gonna change that. No loudmouth, lousy, nothing fans. Nobody. You bring me Superman, and I'll show ya. What is this man's argument? What hill is he trying to die on? Does he have a point? He's only been told that he can't competitively box. Nobody's calling into question his manhood, strength, honor, or capability. Nobody announced, these men are weaklings who can feel no pain. This guy is mental, and to cope with it, I have to tell myself that he's a malfunctioning robot, even though I know he isn't. 
So we cut to Lois and Clark, and they're leaving the Daily Planet after a day one. As far as they're concerned, the story's over. They've exposed everything. But Lex stops them in the lobby. He assures Lois that whoever this bad man is that made her father do these evil robosciences, he's going to find him and make him pay. And if she only takes him to her father, he's going to help him redirect his efforts to the homeless and the lame. It's super schmaltzy, and it only seems to serve as a distraction, I guess, because fight promoter gangster dude shows up, pulls out a gun, and he kidnaps Lois, and they run off. Clark can't do anything because he's Clark in this moment, and Lex is shoulder to shoulder with him. So they both say, I'll get help, and they run in opposite directions. So, we hear a whoosh, and finally cut to Superman, and he's flying. And then we cut to the baddie walking Lois down an alley at gunpoint. Wait, so the baddie went out the front with Lois, and is leading her somewhere by foot? And Superman had to exit the building, change his clothes, and fly around Metropolis looking for her? They got that far ahead and gone on foot in what, like 10 seconds? Anyway, Lois warns the baddie that Superman will save her because she believes this, and why wouldn't she? But it is a little bit weird. And he even says, oh, close are ya? He asks incredulously and honestly, I feel where the guy's coming from. He has no good reason to suspect Superman would specifically save her, but lo and behold, Soup caught up. Super has arrived to save her, and he is ambushed by the robo-boxers. Fight! The promoter says, Steel versus steel, that's how I'd promote it. And he's actually winking at the adventures of Superman, number 539, where Superman fights a cyborg villain because, again, the only time you can make Superman interesting is when you weaken him or it's robots. That's mean of me to say, but hey, let's pay attention to the series and find out. So this is a great Super moment. So the baddie gets away with Lois while Soup is robo-distracted, and his big finisher on the boxers is to throw them against a chain-link fence, and he wraps them in it. He just, like, gives them a push, and it rolls all along the length of the fence. It's wonderful. Soup turns to see the final robo-henchman, and he's the shortest one, and the guy runs away scared. So it's official. These guys are human. And the big mislead, I say, was the robot head with the face in the secret lab. It was just, you know, they should have exclusively had limbs, I feel. So, the baddie rounds the corner. He was rendezvousing to meet with Lex, but Lex has a golden gun. Unhand her, villain! He points it at the baddie. It's a double cross. Bang! Lex blows him away just as Soup lands in the middle. Soup missed it by a hair, and he asks, Are you okay, Lois? And she's amazed and says, You saved my life. She walks past Soup and kisses Lex. What? Is she that fickle? Lex even rubs it in that he saved the day, and he teases Superman. Well, someone had to get here in time. See, Lex was a bad partner to the man he was matched with, and he backstabbed him. So I'd like to note, I don't think this instance was intentional, but if it was, that's a good way to wink at the premise. For a day more, we cut back to the shrieking leader of the robo-boxers. He's still in the ring, and he's shouting into the mic over booing audience members. He's apparently been, since we last saw him, all night, repeatedly yelling, Superman, come out here and fight me! And you know what? <laughs> Soup is coolly leaning in the corner with his arms crossed. Challenge accepted. The muscle with a mouth takes off his robe ready to fight and says, Marquis Queensbury rules? And then Superman scoffs and says, Of course. Oh, you're such a smug pro, are you? For anyone else who had to look this up, Marquis Queensbury rules are as follows. 1. It is to be a fair stand-up boxing match within a 24-foot ring. 2. No wrestling or hugging allowed. 3. The rounds will be 3 minutes with 1 minute in between. Okay, so basically he was saying, Boxing, 
The rules are, we will be boxing, we will be standing up, we will be boxing, and we will do it for a few minutes. Psh, of course. So Soup is hopped into the ring, and now that is an image. And you know what? Despite this version of Superman being a bit of a dancing monkey for Metropolis at this point, auctions, key to the city, fighting in the streets, he's more of an entertaining gladiator. Anyway, despite this version and this imagery, there is precedent of Soup in the Ring. It was in a story by Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams called Superman vs. Muhammad Ali. So the story is as follows. This alien leader named Retlar came to Earth and challenged them to a pit fight. Show me what you got! Soup wanted to box. Ali was like, yo, you don't have any technical knowledge or experience. Your powers are moot. And they duped it out to see who would show Ratlar what you got. Roboboxer punches Soup and sends him back flat to the corner. An old lady reminds Soup to keep his left up and he gives her a condescending laughter tut. Psh, of course. And he gets back up to do his classic, your punches make clanging sounds off my face and I'm not moving a muscle routine. Then he winds up a punch, throws it, stops it an inch away from the guy's face. And then he flicked him with his index finger. So Superman fingered a guy and it was devastating. They cut to his passed out body mangled, suspended in the boxing ropes. And Soup remarks, huh, I knew he had his hang-ups. <laughs> Even Lex has a denouement where his final soliloquy is to his dog instead of his reflection. He has a dog? He articulates how it was easier to eliminate the promoter guy instead of Lois's dad and that he only went along with the ruse long enough to kill the guy and earn Lois's gratitude, mwahaha. I get that we have to know what he's thinking, but I really resent when there's an obvious Toto in a scene. Totos are soundboards that let the audience in on things when you don't want an outright soliloquy or voiceover monologue. The greatest sin is for it to be a pet. Without Toto, you don't know what the hell's going on in Oz. Lois has a closer at the Daily Planet for a job well done on the story, and it sounds like her father will not be legally reprimanded for his work, because that's the world we live in. The episode finishes with Clark alone in the shadowy boxing gym after hours. I guess the owner is freshly dead, so that explains him being allowed in there. He punches a bag and destroys it, smirking and saying, Not bad for a mild-mannered reporter. Yeah, can the paycheck of a mild-mannered reporter pay for that damage? Clark doesn't care. He's exiting the gym, skipping on a rope and jutting his feet like he's singing tra-la-la in the schoolyard. Share this with your friends, like, and follow. Until next week, up, up, and away!